Father, we thank you so much for this last week. And it was a tiring week, but Lord, it was a good tired. And we thank you for that. It, it focused us, it refocused where we should be on what you want us to do. So God, we're asking for that follow-up today. We pray for that follow-up that will refocus us once again on the thing that will enable us to actually be used of you and get it done. And so God, be with us today. Holy Spirit, please, sir, speak through your word to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, if you'll turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 22, the 22nd Psalm. Whenever I'm confused, I know one thing. And the one thing I know is I can make it through as long as I focus on the light. Just focus on the light and keep going toward the light and you'll get through. I think that worship is a confusing topic in Christendom today. Uh, specifically because um, they don't keep the focus on the light. And so I look at what we've been doing together in going through this series as simply taking the Bible, which is our light, and letting it guide us into worship. Now, the theme of the Bible is God's kingdom, but every kingdom has to have subjects if it has a king. So when you bow down, when you prostrate yourself, when you stoop and kiss the one you worship, you are presenting to him your life as a complete sacrifice. So worship is not a ceremony. Worship is not a place. But here's my sidewalk definition for this week. Worship is a life orientation and a way of thinking so that the exaltation of God possesses you in this life in order to determine your role and your rank in the kingdom and in eternal life. And so in the Old Testament, a whole system was set up whereby a person could bring an innocent animal as their substitute sacrifice, and that way they could retain their own life to worship God in this life and go on living for the one that they were worshiping. Now, what that means today is if you wait until Jesus comes back and brings in the kingdom of heaven, you will be too late to worship. Why? Well, this is our thesis for today's study, because you will have no crowns to cast at his feet in worship after the judgment seat of Christ if you are not consecrated to sacrifice in the worship of Jesus right now. That is why there is such wisdom in this topic of worship. So today I want to ask, I want us to ask, what is the payoff to worship? What will be different if you and I and we together as a church develop a lifestyle of worship? Let me take you to our text so we can begin our discovery, Psalm 22 is often called a messianic psalm, not because it is messy, but because it has to do with the Messiah. So it either tells us something about the Messiah, uh, shows us his thoughts and actual words he may have been speaking that are not recorded in the Gospels. This particular psalm is known as the crucifixion psalm so that the king of Psalm 21, who wears a crown of thorns in Psalm 22 does so before he wears a crown of pure gold at his second coming in Psalm 24. 
So there's a progression in these Psalms all the way 22, 21, 22, 23, 24. I want you to look at the superscription to this Psalm, which is the given by inspiration words that you can read before verse one starts. It says to the chief musician upon Aizaleth Shahar, a Psalm of David. Aizaleth Shahar is a female deer which comes out in the morning. Oh, that's when we're supposed to sing this song. It's, it's morning in verses 26 through 29 because the kingdom is the Lord's by the time you get down to verse 28. So for Jesus, the midnight hour of the crucifixion is what precedes the dawn. For Jews, the midnight hour of the tribulation is what precedes their morning star. So in verse two, it says Jesus cries in the daytime, and yet there was darkness over all the land from noon until 3 p.m., according to Matthew 27, verse 45. So he did cry in the daytime, but he simultaneously cried out in the night season. And even though he was forsaken by his father, and even though the father was so far from helping him, in verse three, he says, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. So whatever you may go through, God says, he dwells in your praise. This is the incontrovertible Bible doctrine of worship. So if you want God's attention, worship. If you want to get God involved, worship. If you want to find the way of escape, worship. If you want strength to endure, worship. If you want power to succeed, worship in praise. The Old Testament saints understood this so well. They carried their altars around with them. So before the tabernacle, before the temple, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, they all built altars. I mean, Abraham didn't care if it was the Sabbath or not. Uh, You know, if he needed God on Wednesday, then he took the time, he exerted the effort, he built an altar of sacrifice and devotion and consecration to the Lord. So wait, if you got a mess on Monday, it's a long time to wait until Sunday. So you better start carrying your altar in your heart, carry it around with you, and worship. You'll notice in the prayer diary this week that I have one of the prayer panels talking about Jesus unburdening his heart in close communion. And that phrase gives you the exact counseling help that you need in your life right now. It tells you exactly what I'm talking about. When we're referring to having the altar in your heart, you are the temple. You're carrying the altar around with you, and you're going to worship. You don't need psychotherapy. You need worship. Well, now, I don't know. Maybe you do need, maybe you need psychotherapy. But I'm just saying, most people who have not had a break with reality, they need worship. You know, and we talk about the necessity in terms of mental health of you processing your hurts. Well, how do you biblically process pain? Well, you do it by prayer 
and by praise. Because in prayer, you unburden your heart. By faith, you take what is weighing you down and making you depressed, and you give it to God by relating it to God. So you unburden your heart by giving him the burden and putting it back on him, praising him for his help, even even in advance, and worship. And if that burden is not gone immediately, you pray until it is. That is called praying through. Now, we used to be familiar with all these terms I'm using today, and yet you hardly ever hear them anymore. And that is why believers, most believers today are in such a dysfunctional mental health state. But what had happened was, and this is our first point for study, when you praise God, his presence shows up. The complaint of Jesus is not that God is far from him in presence, but far from him in deliverance. And Jesus, your Savior, says through the mouth of David, his picture, down in verse 22, look down in verse 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. And then he gives us a command, verse 23, ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. Those are the elements of worship, praise, glorifying God and fearing God. Well, how so? Verse 25, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. Wait, what, was it? what does that mean? Well, the colon right here tells you that the next clause is going to explain this one. It means I will pay my vows before them that fear him. An act of worship. And from that verse to the end of this psalm, you see all the different categories of humanity that are going to worship the king. Worship is what makes the differences go away. Worship is what makes the division fall apart. Worship is what makes the disunity become, become people unified. Worship is, is what makes all, all you know, we, we celebrate our, the fact that, that we, as a church, we have such diversity. But you know what? When we come together to worship, we're just a bunch of worshiping believers, it doesn't matter what the person next to you looks like or, you know, if they, what type of accent they've got or what else is going on. Because whenever worship takes place, God enters the equation. So stop boxing God out and worship. Because this is our second point for study. God enthrones himself and lives in the worship which we give him. Now that's only consistent because when there is rebellion... Well, the devil inhabits that environment. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. So what that means is worship calls down God in the very same way. It calls down the spirit of God instead of demonic spirits. So the wisdom of worship is this. That is where God shows up for you. Well, God, where are you? God, why are you not here? Worship. There are six things that you will receive 
if you will develop a lifestyle of worship. So this is truly the wisdom of worship. This is kind of our systematic theology of worship because I'm not just taking one passage, I'm taking principles from throughout the scripture and I'm gonna put them in this one spot. And here's why worship is not only critical for us as a church, it is critical for you as an individual. Can we take ourselves in this series and learn to become carpenters like Jesus? And construct an altar whenever we need it. Because first off, notice if you will, this is number one. Worship brings you into intimate contact with God. Worship removes God from being all the way out there to being the God who is all the way in here. Because worship is the link between Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit in your life. The link is worship. So worship makes the infinite God personal to you and closes that gap between you and your creator by his word. And that brings us to our third point for study, our third worship word today, the wisdom of worship, is that God himself is inviting you to draw near so that you can enter a fresh relationship. His mercies are new every morning. Your relationship, your worship needs to be fresh every day. And this is a spiritual operation in the spirit world. So the sacrifice of your trust needs to be put in Jesus and then his blood cleanses you. So then it is because of drawing near in worship that the pure water of the word of God cleanses us of all filthiness of the flesh, as well as of the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. And loss of this is why we have such carnality in Christianity. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost as soon as you get saved. But now, through worship, he's unquenched, he's ungrieved, so he is unleashed to work in your life in power. Because when you worship, the blood of Jesus is applied to your inner life as a believer. I have a mess. I have a need. Worship. My life's fallen apart. My marriage has fallen apart. Worship. Well, and you'd understand I'm collapsing on the inside. Worship. The wisdom of worship is that it draws you near. And you can draw near to me as your pastor, but that is not wisest. Because while I may fully understand after lo these many years in ministry, I can even empathize, I cannot always help you. So when we get together, we all draw near at once, but drawing near to God is kind of like putting your soul in an x-ray machine, right? The doctor has you draw near to put your body into an MRI machine because he wants to show you what is really there and to find out what can be done. So coming to worship together, the soul x-ray machine goes on and God is looking beyond the outside shell and he begins penetrating your heart and actually you may feel some Sundays like he's turning you inside out because he wants to reveal sin so that you can repent, so that you can worship by applying the cross. Worship means coming to God on his terms. 
And I know it's a lot easier to be in some type of liturgical or semi-liturgical church, you know, either Catholic or one of the Protestant liturgical denominations. It's a whole lot easier to go to a priest and put it all on him and, and just, you know, go through the forms and go through the outward uh, ceremonies. It's a whole lot easier than that, you know, to do that than to have your soul go through an x-ray. But the reason some of us say the same prayers all the time is because we don't want to tell the truth. Hello, somebody. So first, worship is what makes contact. Now, second thing occurs, if you develop a lifestyle of worship, this is number two, it renews your faith. So what worship does is remind you that what you see is not the product of human input. It is the product of divine activity while using your human instrumentality. But worship provides providence it introduces a new program and a new paradigm and a new way of viewing things. So you can see the scripture I listed. I'm not going to have you turn to it. You can read this before the Chiefs came. Psalm, Psalm 73, David says, David says in Psalm 73, I used to buy the party line. But when I went to worship, I got another perspective. And I started looking at scholars from the back instead of from their front. And when I looked at them from the back, I saw a divine end for them that God has for them that they cannot see. I mean, haven't you ever come to church confused about what you ought to do or some, you know, something going on in your life? And then while you, at, you are at church, through the Word of God, through the preaching, you begin to see something. The Holy Spirit starts speaking, and God lets you hear something that gives you a different divine perspective. And you left worship saying, I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. All obstacles in my way. See, here, 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 you know, here you are. Instead of doing that, you got a can in one hand and a blunt in the other and a pill on your tongue. I mean, here you are smoking the chronic and drinking the hypnotic when what you need is worship. Will malt liquor do this for you? Will drink do this for you? See, the substitute system that you cling to is your idolatry in this age. So whatever system we cling to as a substitute for worship, that is the idolatry of our age. And Satan will get you to substitute anything for simply believing in Jesus. He gets Christians to substitute any version for his preserved word. And you can't do exegesis on those versions. And it doesn't have the impact. It's like you're, you know, listening to Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, okay, it's instead, of, instead of 4K, you've got, uh, you know, 360P. And, and it just is not coming through very good. And he gets Christians to... To, to, as Bible believers, to substitute any other activity for worship. Get off on any other subject and topic except worship. Get all exercised and upset about any other thing but worship. Make worship of God your passion and he will renew your faith. Worship enables you to hang in there when you want to turn back. So if you're getting ready to fall away, worship more. What else is the wisdom of worship? Well, this is number three. It overcomes your foes. Anybody in here have enemies? If they're sitting next to you, do not raise your hand. 
just keep looking straight up here at me. They'll never know you were thinking about them. People out to hurt you, people who wear on you. Worship. In, in 2 Chronicles 20, there on your handout, King Jehoshaphat says, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. When they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, the Edomites, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. They destroy, and if you read the rest of the passage, you see they destroyed themselves. So maybe if you would worship, God would make your enemies take care of themselves. You remember Joshua when he fit the battle of Jericho? Well, this is, this is our fourth worship word. If you get Christ on your case through worship, you'll see more done faster than through any human strategy. I mean, it only took them seven days of marching and the last day seven times around and then they blew the trumpets and the walls were gone. Well, that's a lot shorter time it would have taken them by some human strategy. So the wisdom of worship is it saves lives. It saves time. It collapses our adversaries. Worship addresses your need. And 1 John 3 verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That is the wisdom of your worship. It brings you close to God. It renews your faith. It overcomes your foes. And then number four, it brings contentment to your life. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know what? The path of life always leads through the valley of the shadow of death. Not death, but just its shadow. Can't be death because we got resurrection power on the inside. So Jesus says, we believe on him, we don't die, but the shadow is there. So worship connects you to joy anyway, because worship brings you into God's presence in that shadow. See, most of us struggle with us. Okay, if you can't say amen, you can say oh me. Nobody will know that, that you know, you were saying the different one. Our, our pain has nothing to do with the person next to us. It has to do with our own discontent. So you don't like what your life tastes like, and yet you baked it yourself. Hello, somebody. And the beautiful thing about worship is that God can intervene in your recipe by adding the right ingredients. All you got to do is add the right ingredients. See, it's not like baking a cake. It is like making a soup. In worship, your sin is not baked in. It can be changed but like soup. Just add the correct ingredients and you change the whole dish. So instead of driving you to drink, let the devil drive you to worship. As a matter of fact, if you'd let the devil drive you to worship, he'd stop messing with you so much because that ain't his goal at all. The storm is coming, but you can rest in the eye of the storm. 
take the time that, that you spend on the phone and texting everybody about what's, un, what's wrong in your life and instead unburden your heart to Jesus. You can do it when you pray in the Spirit by faith, Ephesians 6.18. Now, you need to make sure you read my extra cross-references I got in on the handout uh, once you get home today. Because worship brings you in close contact with God. It renews your faith. It overcomes your foes. It brings inner contentment. And the bonus beyond that, and this is number five, is that it brings people to Christ. Because it will win people who are watching you. Because Jesus says that he draws all men to himself whenever he is lifted up. John 12, verse 32. And he is lifted up whenever you are worshiping him. But you got to go lower in order to lift him higher. And you got to get lesser in, in order to make him more. You know, some of you are only here today because your mother never stopped worshiping. When you left for college, your auntie never stopped worshiping. And you're here today not because you were looking for God, but because somebody else was looking for God on your behalf and they kept worshiping. So in the final analysis, and this is number six, the real wisdom of worship is this. It transforms your life and the people you touch. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Look at what that verse says. But we all, with open face, there's got to be some honesty here with God, some, some transparency, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, which is what we do when we worship, and then we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, why does it say, as by the Spirit, and not just say, by the Spirit? You know what? I am so glad. I've got, I've got a preserved word. I've got an English Bible that God gave through seven printed revisions. In the 1611, that process stopped. For 270 years, it's all there was. God gave us, it's, it's, it's obvious from history, God gave us his word in English when it started up again. Boy, it was nothing like the process that was going on before. And you can't do English exegesis on what those others give you, but I can do it on my King James Bible. And I know that there's a reason why. It says, as by the Spirit, and not just by the Spirit, which is what all the other versions say, and it says that because God's spirit is working in your spirit by the word. It's not just done by the spirit. It's not some immediacy like, like okay, baptism in the Holy Ghost, and after that, everything's going to be changed. No, it don't happen like that, baby Baba. It's, it is as by the spirit because he doesn't work immediately. He works immediately through the word of God itself. And every modern translation has the audacity to mess that phrase up. The Southern Baptist Christian Standard Bible, the, the, the Reformed ESV, the former fundamentalist New American Standard, the broadly evangelical NIV, even the MEV, the modern English version, was supposed to be translated from the, from the Texas Receptus. So this verse says that the Bible likens itself to a mirror, only when you look into that looking glass, it reflects back to you, not your image, but you see the image of the Lord. 
and you are not changed into him or by him, contrary to what modern versions state, but you are conformed to his image by his spirit working in your spirit through the word. That's why it goes from glory to glory, because you don't know all the word yet. You don't know all the word you need. And when you need a new word you need to know, that's more glory that you need to get. And you're, you're conformed now to Christ's likeness. And then you become a reflection of Christ to others because you begin to take on his features. But now check this. Look at what that transformation of you does, does toward others. Look at the effect on others. Paul is referring in this passage to Moses. Whenever Moses went up into the mount and up in the mount, he got the word. And after he got the word in the mount, he came back down. And when he came back down, he had to have a veil over his face. Exodus 34 verses 29 to 35. So when he went up into the mountain to worship, his face started to shine and his countenance started to take on the light that God is. God is light and now he's looking like light and he starts to glow and he's given off light. And when he comes back down, they're scared of that light. So he's got to put a veil on. We don't have to do that anymore. When you've worshiped, you are in the presence of an awesome son, S-O-N, and his divine rays transform you. I don't know if you ever remember watching the movie Aladdin. I mean, Aladdin, I think, was one of the best uh, children's Disney's movies there was. And, and uh, because he takes a magic carpet ride, and here's Aladdin, and he, he, you know, he stretches out his hand to Jasmine and says, do you trust me? And, and she gets up on the carpet with him, and that carpet just flies them every place, see all sorts of things, goes all over the world, and does, you know, he does exactly what every teenage boy wants to do with a girl he wants to date. He wants to take her out in a nice car. Get in my ride. And, and, you know, that is a fly ride, bro. When you got a magic carpet, that is a fly ride. And so now, now the Spirit of Christ rides on the carpet of worship through His Word. And so when you give your worship carpet to Christ to, to ride on, then He carries you into the presence of God. You see things you never saw before, and God's son will start rubbing off on you. We are transformed, Paul says, from glory to glory because this is our fifth worship word today. The best way to kick a bad habit is for you to worship. That's why it goes from glory to glory. You're not, you ain't glorious enough yet. Best way to lay a foundation is worship. Now you may need other things. I mean, you may need to go to rehab as far as that is concerned. But if they are not built upon the foundation of discipleship, goal number one, worship, then you're not changed. There may even be an outward conformity to rules in rehab, but there is no change of heart without worship. So Ephesians 5 verses 18 to 20 say that when you worship through the word, meaning psalms, hymns, songs, singing, thanking, praising God, then at that moment you become filled with the Spirit. And then at that moment when you are filled with the Spirit, we are able to submit to one another. Husbands, 
are able to love their wives. Wives are able to respect their husbands in the Lord. Children are able to obey their parents. Fathers will not frustrate and provoke their children. Employees will be able to work right and employers will be able to boss right. So when you worship, the Spirit of God starts changing things. Attitudes change when you worship. Therefore, relationships change when you worship. I'm going to say that worship is the key to revival. Many people watch the award shows, uh, both musical awards and uh, awards for visual arts. And they're very popular because those shows are all about giving honor to the best. So they get up and they say the nominees are, and that is among the best. And that, but then they'll say the winner is, and that is the best. And thousands of people gather and millions of people watch, and the winners come up on stage to receive the honor that they are due. Or to slap somebody for joking about their wife, oh Lord. Now, when you go down and worship, you say, God, I nominate you. No one else even fits into the category. Who else can speak and bring a universe into existence? Who else can make a planet rotate on an orbit just exactly how it has to be in order for life to exist? Who else can take two cells and create human life out of non-life order out of disorder, complexity out of simplicity, who else can create morality and beauty out of cruelty and ugliness? When we worship, we come to give God his award. He alone is worthy. We come together to worship Jesus. We come from all across this city to say, God, we nominate you. You deserve the award of our life because you alone are worthy. But don't just nominate him on Sunday. Make him win every day. Make him win all day. Give him the glory due to his name. Personal worship is the priority. Because worship is the way of wisdom. And you are transformed so that you can become a transforming agent on other people. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The story of Psalm 22 is that all Jesus' prayers were heard. God hears your prayers, they're all heard. But yet the cup did not pass from him. As a matter of fact, the bitterness was not even lessened because he willingly suffered hell in your place. And then when we're forced to bear our thorn in the flesh with no other answer from God than the one that says, my grace is sufficient for you, then we need to see our fellowship with Jesus. We need to see his fellowship with us. You need to borrow courage from the one who out of fear to God prayed himself into victory. I want you to experience that. Unburden your heart. Unburden your hurts to him. Processing your pain with worship. What a brother Jesus is. Since he, like us, cried and, and wept, will you not trust him? You can fearlessly come and trust him right now. I mean, all you have to do, if, 
You've not yet trusted Jesus for eternal life. I'm asking you to make that move. I'm asking you, make that move today. All you have to do is pray and say, God, I believe on Jesus today for everlasting life. I know this is real. I believe this is real. I believe you are hearing me, even if I'm only praying in my heart, only praying in my head. You are God, you know. And so, as your servant, I, I, I worship. I'm going to give up myself today so that I can get you. I'm going to give up my life so I can get eternal life. God, I believe on Jesus today. I believe so I receive. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. God, make me born again right now. Put me in Jesus. Put the Holy Spirit in me. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.